A big thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring this episode of iFreaks to promote the App Center, a continuous integration delivery and feedback suite of cloud services for Swift and Objective-C apps. With App Center, you can automate your iOS and macOS development lifecycle, build, test, distribute, monitor, and push to ship five-star, high-quality apps faster and with confidence. Building a development pipeline in your iOS apps has always been a challenge, but with App Center, you can get started in minutes. Simply connect your GitHub and Bitbucket repos and build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. As a fully modular suite of services, you can pick and choose the service you need and connect it to the tools you already use. Sign up now on appcenter.ms and spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the iFreak Show. Today on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. Erica Sadoon. Hello from Denver, Colorado. And we've got two guests today. Please welcome Eric Ludlow and Paul Shelley. Hello, Eric Ludlow, North Salt Lake. Hello, Paul Shelley from Salt Lake City. Great. So we brought you on to the show because you both have graduated from a, a boot camp. And we'd like to a little bit more know a little bit more about what's going on with that. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah, yeah. Who should go first, Paul? Uh, sure. Um, is there anything particular that you want to know? I think Let's... I'd like to start with. Okay. <laughs> you know, let's go wild and crazy. What's a boot camp? That's a that's a good question. I'll kind of give maybe what I think about it, um, but. Uh, a boot camp, I think, is a lot more focused on kind of practical knowledge. It's very uh, hands-on. Um, typically, um, at least with the the boot camp that I did at Dev Mountain, was a, a full time. Um, so basically, I think it was about nine to five every single day of the week uh, for three months. Um, so it's a very hands-on, you have a mentor, you have practical lessons, and it's all about the practical programming of app development and a lot less of the computer science and um, I want to say kind of the uh, theoretical aspects of computer science. So it's a three-month intensive nine-to-five um, training system, right? Yeah, that's the boot camp that I attended. I think there are others that might have a little bit different setup um, mm -hmm. in different areas. Um, but I think the majority are somewhat similar to that. Okay. How much does it cost? Um, that's a good question. So when I, I attended around three years ago, and I think the, the price was a little under 10000 at the time. So it's a significant investment. Um, yeah, significant investment. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to interject there because I have a, an, an interesting background, including having gone to law school. So uh, going to a boot camp compared to going to law school is an extremely small investment. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> but anything compared to law school is going to be an extremely small investment. Oh, In fact, yeah. going to law school is how to get into incredible debt to learn how to say, would you like fries with that? It, it is now. Yes, that's true. It wasn't when I got into law school, but it was when I got out. Okay, thus, so... That's the boot camp. Who goes to boot camp? What kind of person? What kind of background? 
So I'll I'll jump in there. I had I went around the same time. I think I was a little bit after Paul. So it was about two and a half years ago. I also went to Dev Mountain, and uh, I I had an interesting variety of of classmates in my cohort. Um, there was someone who was still in high school who was attending because they wanted to know more than they could get from from an online course from their local high school or even local community college or local university. They wanted something very specific and on target about not just programming in general, but specifically being an iOS app developer. So they came to the class. Uh, we had people who were switching careers. We had people who, a couple of people who were actually still going to college and getting a CS degree. And they just wanted to, uh, um, do something that was just very, very specific and very targeted. Um, like Paul said, you know, it's it's not as focused on the computer science, uh, but I think it's less about not being focused on computer science and more about what he said about about being practical. About these are the actual day to day things you're going to do, and when you're doing day to day stuff, you on iOS programming, you don't know how to. You don't need to know how to write a compiler, but you need to know just a little bit about how it works. You need to know just a little bit about Big O. You need to know just, and so, and you'll learn more as you go. But here's what we're going to teach in boot camp, and here's what you're going to learn, and here's the projects we're going to do, very project-based, try to make it as real-world as possible. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of variety of people coming in, changing backgrounds, or just wanting to, you know, get into computers a little more than they already have. So somebody going in, they might go for iOS development. I've seen people who are doing back-end development, um, full-stack development. What kind of boot camps are out there? Yeah. Um, I think that's a pretty good question, and I'll kind of jump in because uh, one with my experience. So um, kind of first off, I was uh, actually a student at the University of Utah, um, kind of debating between mechanical engineering, electrical, and computer science. Um, and then I got to a point where I really wanted to learn to code better and just get better at that, no matter which one of those I chose. And so that's kind of what led me to the boot camp. Um, but what's interesting, so I chose um, an iOS development boot camp um, because I've, I've been a longtime uh, Apple user. I really like um, mobile uh, devices. And um, I also really like a lot of lower language or lower level, um, like C. Um, I'm into microcontrollers and things like that. Um, and that was kind of one of the closest. Um, I felt like doing an iOS boot camp was a little closer to um, some of the lower level stuff that I was interested in, in as well, because I haven't seen any boot camps for microcontrollers yet or anything like that or uh, embedded you know, uh, firmware development. Um, but one thing that's interesting is when I was going through, um, my, my wife, uh, she actually has a degree in Russian language and literature, uh, kind of, she had been thinking about maybe doing a, uh, a career change. And so she decided to go as well to a boot camp after I finished for web development. Um, so I, it seems like I've seen a lot of, uh, web development, um, maybe mobile development. Um, th and those are probably some of the bigger areas that I've seen. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm sure there's, uh, 
it feels like the industry's growing. Do you get a sense of the hiring outlook before you sign up with a boot camp? Or is that something that you really need to do and research before you choose one? I would, this is just me personally, but I would actually encourage anybody, no matter if they're doing a boot camp or um, if they're going into graphic design or any, you know, related field at a, a college um, to, to just have an idea of what the outlook is, is like, I've met quite a few people that going to college, they've chosen a degree just purely based on, you know, Hey, this is kind of fun. I enjoy this and it's all right. So I'll just kind of pick that. Right. And they really have not thought about what either the job is going to look like on the day to day when they get out or what the prospects, how competitive it is. And I think sometimes people realize that they've chosen a, a field that's extremely competitive and they are not into it quite as much as it takes to, to be competitive with some of their peers. Now, it's not law school, but that's a fairly expensive lesson to learn. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. I, I would agree with, with everything Paul just said just now. And yeah, it, it felt a little bit like he was talking about me just now. No, I'm and, and no, even really, but why? Why was he talking about you? Because I want to hear right. why. Right. Well, uh, before I went, and I'll just use the metaphor again a little bit in my own personal experience with law school. But yeah, before I went into law school, I did do research, but I didn't do the best research that I could have done because before I went into law school, the the job market for lawyers was still very good, or at least it looked that way on paper and in all of the the journals and and the websites that you looked at. But if you actually went and talked to people and talked to enough people, you could get a sense that, yeah, there were some uh, challenges and some points of, of tension and and maybe less money there than than it looked like there was on paper. <laughs> and so same thing with, with a boot camp or, or whatever, like Paul said, whatever field you go into, you know, go out there and talk to people and talk to enough people and talk to people in the areas where you're thinking about wanting to get a job and ask them and talk to enough people until you get a, a you know, a really good spread of, of information. But yeah, I mean, I didn't do that as much, but I did know a number of people who, who had recently gotten into the tech industry. And so I was able to get a good sense before going into boot camp and, and a sense in, in Utah because I knew that I was probably going to go to Dev Mountain and I was probably going to stay in Utah after I got out of there, uh, which, which really wasn't what I was expecting to do before I started looking at Dev Mountain. I didn't think I would live in Utah, but, but the, the industry is actually really good here, has been for a few years, and I, I believe it will continue to be for at least a little bit longer. So. You mentioned location, and that's a really critical factor because a lot of people, when they think about going into boot camp, think that they're going to have to end up on the West Coast or the East Coast because that's where so much of the industry is, you know, there and maybe Austin. Right. So how do you find out about the job market in Utah, which is not really a place that just jumps to mind 
when you say technology, innovation, and, you know, up and coming, you know, startup. So I got to push back a little bit, Erica. Salt Lake has a pretty good reputation as a, te- as a tech community. It's not obviously not Bay Area. You know, it's not New York City, San Francisco, but it, it's top 10. It's got good venture funding. It, it, there's a lot of things going for it. The University of Utah not- was the third node on the Internet. Oh, drop the mic right there. Yeah. Speaking of someone from not from Salt Lake at all. I've never been, but no, they, uh, Salt Lake gets cred uh, in circles, especially people that are, are following closely. And Denver's great too. We're not leaving you out. <laughs> so how is going to a boot camp for people with families? I know Paul doesn't have any kids. Eric, did you have kids when you went to Death Mountain? Yes, yes, actually. Um, we had just had our fourth uh, just, uh, I don't know, four or five months before. I started Dev Mountain, and I actually did the full-time occult immersive uh, course as well. And uh, so what I did was I, I, I quit my job, and my wife and kids went and took a extended vacation with her family. <laughs> and I actually lived in, in the free housing here in Salt Lake while I was attending the program, and I would go back and go back to um my in-laws on the weekends so it was it was challenging but it was doable uh, because the tuition was just affordable enough to not have to work full-time or have something else on the side we were able to save up just enough we were able to save money because she was staying with in-laws she was in-laws are close enough that i was able to go visit on the weekends and i was able to really focus those three months that I was in and really make the most out of it. So it was hard, but it was doable. It was not, it was not impossible. Do programs tie to recruiter networks? Yeah, that, so so I'm now speaking, you know, having worked at Dev Mountain, uh, we, we had a, we actually had a team at Dev Mountain whose entire job was employment assistance and then they really had a two-part role one was helping students prepare to actually look for and apply for jobs and interview well and you know write a good resume and all of that but a big part of their job was actually making connections with uh people who are hiring and dev mountain specifically does hiring events several times a year where they invite companies that are hiring to come to an event that just specifically to recruit dev mountain students and and that kind of thing I would say, though, that none of that is at all a substitute for people who go to a boot camp working really hard to get a job. No boot camp can hand you a job. It's just not possible because you have to have put in the effort um, to gain the skills that you actually need to do the job or nobody's going to hire you no matter what the boot camp says. I would agree with that. And and I think that's... um one of the things that really drew me to Dev Mountain, and understand none of us are getting paid here to say good things. We're being honest about them. At least I am and being totally honest. But that was one of the things that really drew me to it was they didn't come in and say, hey, we're going to get you a job. They came in and said, hey, we're going to teach you skills and, and how, how much time you spend on them and how hard you work and how much time you put into it, even after you leave the program, is going to determine how, how you get a job. But if you if you do it right and if you're passionate about it, then you will. Do you think that's fairly common through the 
uh, boot camp industry? Have you wor- worked with other people who have been through boot camps? I hope this is shaking out a little bit, but I think traditionally there have definitely been good boot camps and bad boot camps. And there have been boot camps that have said, oh, you, you know, we guarantee you'll get a job or something close to it. And then they can't actually deliver on that promise. Um, I seem to recall one, I think, in New York recently being fined kind of a lot of money for doing something like that. And and they ended up having to shut down uh, due to the fine. Um, So, you know, it's it's, it's probably the same as any industry in the world, but it's maybe made worse by the fact that it's pretty new. Uh, There are good, good players and bad players, and it's worth doing your research before you choose one to spend your money and time on. How do you determine the good from the bad? Well, there's been, I I mean, partly read reviews, talk to people who have actually been there and done that, uh, et cetera. But there's also been some, um, some work on, you know, like standards bodies. So there's a project called Sir C I R R. I can't remember at all what that stands for, but that's, uh, it was it was started by a coalition of boot camps, including Dev Mountain and other ones, um, to report accurate numbers using a consistent standard. And report accurate numbers about what percentage of students get jobs and what kind of jobs they're getting and how long it took them to find a job and all of that so that boot camps can't, you know, fudge their numbers the way that some of them had been doing. Now, I assume that what you're studying during those three months are going to include things like putting together apps and so forth. But do you also go through the other work realities like working on teams or working with version control and, you know, the kind of things that are skills that would never be covered in a traditional computer science background? I'm going to let, uh, Paul and Eric answer that, um, but yeah. then I, I might interject because they went to Dev Mountain quite a while ago, comparatively. And I've been there more recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I went through, um, yeah, and like Andrew said, I know the curriculum has changed and things have uh, evolved a lot since I've been there three years ago. Um, but when I went there, I know there was quite a bit of... Um, Uh, effort. So we use Git a lot for every single project that we worked on was in a Git repo. We would clone those, pull them down and we would work on it and we'd commit our changes. Um, and I know some students and probably myself at times, you know, messed up something with Git and lost some important work that had been done. And so I think those are good lessons to, to learn early on. Um, we also did a little bit, I don't think at the time it was a lot, Um, but with, I believe we used, uh, Trello and we did a group project to, to kind of learn how to collaborate and work with others and understand kind of the basics of, of scrum or agile, um, and some of these, uh, practices that, that are used a lot in the workplace. I don't think at the time there was a lot of emphasis on that. Um, but as well, and I know in my first job that I got, um, I, did and learned a lot of that. Um, and so one thing that I, I kind of want to add is I think um, it's important to to continually learn, especially in this industry. Um, but I would say in any, any industry that you work in, 
um, that it's important to be passionate about it and to continue to learn because in a three month debt boot camp or a you know, a six month boot camp or however long the duration is, you're never going to learn everything that there is to learn. Um, I'm sure that um, Andrew or other developers, people that have been working into the industry industry much longer would tell you that they're still learning and there's new things coming out as well. Um, but we did get a, a basic uh, fundamentals in, in Git and... Um, and kind of uh, your general Scrum or Agile work workflow. Yeah, that was that was pretty similar for me too. I was right after you, so the curriculum was still pretty similar. We a lot of our um, earlier on first half of of the program projects weren't really big enough to have Scrum or Git or Trello or Teams or stand-ups or anything like that because it was just you know a couple hours to build the the mini project we worked on but yeah there was definitely an emphasis to do um a, a group project and there was an emphasis to do a, a personal capstone project and and to try to use those processes for for project management and and definitely a lot of those team dynamic skills during during the group project yeah those those were definitely there. And I, I want to speak to something Paul brought up about uh, about continual learning, too. And I think that was um, a great thing about Dev Mountain was they didn't just say, all right, here's how you do this. They said, all right, here's how you learn this. I mean, yeah, we can give you these instructions right here, but let's take a step back for a minute and let's look at this concept or this idea or this new this new framework we're going to look at or this new third party library we're going to look at how how would you learn this here's the documentation here's where you find documentation here are websites that have that have tutorials or whatever and these are these are the good ones and this is how you know if it's a good one here's third party libraries on on CocoaPods or whatever and here's how you can tell if this is a good library if it's used a lot if a lot of people have contributed to it if it's continually been contributed to if it's been around a while here's how you know how to find these resources that will help you to continue learning even when you leave here and and that's something that if a boot camp doesn't have that it's not going to be a good one and so that's something you want to you want to find out before you get into because you do you do have to keep learning everything continually changes as i'm sure andrew and others can attest to erica is the cause of some of the, the changes so i'm i blame her Whoa. And wait, wait, wait. I need to know more about this. Well, you're just so active on Swift Evolution that, you know, I, I blame you. Well, I did personally kill the for loop. <laughs> yeah. I uh, actually, that was actually a good change. I'm okay with that one. Agreed. But specifically, you said that uh, you wanted to add some more about what has changed, you know, over the past couple of years. Yeah, in terms so, of what you teach. Well, so the reason I said that is because when when Paul and Eric were there, I was not uh, full time running the program, and and I was I was teaching, but just part time. And so you know, I I made changes to the curriculum. I was not exactly sure what they uh, went through, but it actually sounds like it was relatively similar. There definitely was an emphasis on Git. We started teaching that the very first week and expected students to use it. And um, we had a we they they do group projects where they spend three weeks building an app with a with a group of 
three or four students and and that was uh run you know as close as we could run it to a to a real team in in the industry where we had uh basically a project manager um who was a who was a mentor not a student and they were expected to use git and issue tracking and all of that and uh you know it's never going to be like paul said you can't teach somebody everything there is to know in 12 weeks or even close to it but we wanted them to be as prepared as possible to jump in and start contributing to a team when they got a job who succeeds at a boot camp what are the qualities of the person not just in terms of being you know a good hard worker and so forth but what intrinsic qualities do they have to have in terms of dealing with technical matters or things like that that makes them the right kind of candidate? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And my, fair, my first answer to that would be somebody has to be a really hard worker. I would often tell people during orientation when they were just starting the first day of class that this was going to be the hardest thing they had ever done. And I would sometimes ask people later, you know, was it the hardest thing you've ever done? And a lot of people would say, yes, it was. Now, of course, that's not going to be true for everybody, but a lot of people really had, have never been um, in a situation where they have to work, be in class nine to five. And we expected, uh, you know, four ish, four, sometimes five, four or five hours of, I guess you'd call it homework every night. So you're, you know, legitimately working 12 or 13 hours a day, uh, every day on something that's very difficult that you're new at, that you don't understand well. Um, so working hard is the most important thing, but I also became convinced over my time there that there are people whose natural talents and inclinations, uh, lend, lend themselves well to, to learning how to program and getting good at it. And then there are people for whom it's just really not the right thing. And it's, it's sort of hard to identify those, um, people ahead of time uh, boot camps try to do that would you call that flexible problem solving skills yeah so i mean anybody that's a programmer of course knows that programming is about creative solutions to problems that nobody's ever solved before or that nobody you know has solved before and i i um i often would see in in students who were not succeeding i would see this in this sort of desire to have the the steps to solve a problem handed to them. So they had a problem in front of them. They wanted somewhere a checklist of things to do to, to, to figure it out. Uh, and that doesn't work very well because most of the, at least the important problems you solve as a programmer, you, nobody tells you here's step one and then step two and then step three and write this line of code and then that line of code. Uh, the people who did really well understood that and were um, prepared and enjoyed taking a problem and breaking it down and thinking of different solutions and maybe even trying multiple solutions and learning from them and realizing that they could do better the next time. And, you know, all of those things that make a good programmer, a good programmer also make a good student, uh, I think at a boot camp. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. And I kind of want to add one thing, like I agree with Andrew that it's really hard to kind of, uh, pinpoint exactly, you know, what it is or to, assess that. But one thing that I feel like I've noticed, and again, I, I feel like this is uh, kind of general to no matter what industry or career path you're looking at, but I feel like in technology, 
um, I would say to have a passion for for technology in general or the technology that that you're working on, because I feel like I I have seen uh, a number of people that, you know, maybe they're they kind of feel like they're in a dead end job or they don't really love whatever it is that they're doing. And they think, ooh, and they hear, you know, kind of the advertisements, oh, exciting new career in, you know, app development or something like that. And, you know, I feel like to some extent uh, with um, various media and with TV shows that our, our industry is almost getting romanticized a little bit more. And so people think, hey, that's really cool. That's exciting. But they kind of lack a, a certain passion or or love for for technology or for what it is they're going to be doing. Because uh, in the end, I think there's always a lot of kind of day in and day out things that are, you know, not quite as attractive or fun. You know, there's fixing bugs, trying to track down where where some obscure, obscure issue is happening in your code. And that can be tedious and, and kind of painful. Um, and then you also won't be as motivated to continually learn if you don't have uh, a passion for for what you're doing. A big thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring this episode of iFreaks to promote the App Center, a continuous integration, delivery, and feedback suite of cloud services for Swift and Objective C apps. With App Center, you can automate your iOS and macOS development lifecycle, build, test, distribute, monitor, and push to ship five star, high quality apps faster and with confidence. Building a development pipeline in your iOS apps has always been a challenge, but with App Center, you can get started in minutes. Simply connect your GitHub and Bitbucket repos and build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. As a fully modular suite of services, you can pick and choose the service you need and connect it to the tools you already use. Sign up now on appcenter.ms and spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. On the list of things I think that contribute to people who are successful in technology is certainly resilience. Because if you can't endure both just pushing and pushing and pushing until you fix things, as well as having the creativity to think about something from many angles, you're going to struggle in the field. I think there's also a component of being able to adapt and accept criticism. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that is certainly true. Um, you know, I would, I would, it, when I was talking to students, uh, especially when I was first getting to know them and, and some, you know, somebody would be struggling and they would say, I, I don't know if I'm right for this, if I'm cut out for this. And I would say, well, being frustrated is part of being a programmer. And I think one of the ways you know that you're okay is that you're frustrated, but you keep pushing and you keep working. And then when you solve a problem, when you figure something out and get it to work, you feel a real sense of satisfaction and accomplishment, and that makes the frustration worth it. If you get to the end, and you're like, "Oh man, at last that's over," and you don't think it was an interesting, you know, or enlightening experience to push through a hard problem, then you're probably not right for the for the job. And um, you know, I, I'm not sure that's something that can be taught. You talk about uh, endurance, and you talk about frustration, 
And it reminds me of, of one of my favorite little um, cartoon strips about programming. And the first frame is the guy sitting at the computer and staring at it and saying, this isn't working, but why? And then the second frame is exactly the same. And he's looking at the computer and saying, this is working, but why? And it's that same, uh, you know, sometimes it's endurance. Sometimes it, it's just this, you know, deep, deep curiosity that you just have to know. Or sometimes it's just being a little bit OCD. But but yeah, one one of those three things is, is definitely a key element in, in being a good programmer. Just, you know, this constant something moving you forward and continually um, pushing against that wall until it finally gives way. One of the things that's kind of motivating me bringing up this topic is that Apple just recently had another educational event. And during that event, they continue pushing the idea that everyone can code and everyone should code, that it's one of those things that learning to write, learning to read, do some math, that coding kind of falls under that same umbrella of basic things. And it seems just to me to be a little bit discordant in expecting it. I think it's more like drawing and painting and music in which some people zig and some people zag. I think it's a more creative endeavor, which some people have very good strengths in, rather than being a universal basis for education. Um, I, th I think that's an interesting point. But at the same time, I would also argue um, that I think everybody should get at least a little bit of experience with music and with art. Um, and I think those are, you know, good points that those are staples. But in I feel like our world is it's becoming more and more technology focused or uh, or maybe that technology is intertwined into every industry and, and career at this point, that having a basic knowledge or understanding conceptually, even just on a small level, I would argue that, you know, and maybe that's what they're talking about in the event as I've heard, you know, kind of Apple, you know, you say the same things like everybody can code. And I've, I've always been a firm believer um, that anybody can learn to do anything um, but I agree with what Andrew said earlier that you some haven't, of us, you, some you of us honestly have haven't tried, heard me try <laughs> to do rhythm. <laughs> I, I agree with what Andrew, I think Andrew summed it up really well earlier about how some of us kind of have, you know, maybe talents or abilities kind of naturally we learn or pick up certain things much easier than others. Um, and I, I completely agree with that. Um, and I don't necessarily think everybody should, you know, learn to be a master, you know, uh, concert violinist or something like that. But just having at least a little bit of uh, experience in, in music, art, and to be a well-rounded person. And I, I would include programming or code uh, as, as one of those things. But that's just me. But you're talking about enrichment there. And enrichment is exposing people to these things and getting them acquainted with them, as opposed to, say, reading, which is a 
core task necessary for the fundamental uh, progress as an adult. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, and I guess you could argue it kind of that way and maybe a, a topic for a different show is I, I personally think some of the ways that we approach education in general, um, I feel like could be revised or improved. Um, for instance, kind of the way that we teach math, um, a lot of memorization and a lot of, um, repetitive, uh, kind of actions, um, it's how a lot of the school system is is kind of currently, which I think made sense at, for the time when a lot of it was uh, initially developed, in, at least in the United States, and how our current school system is. But a lot of things like we've kind of been discussing here, like programming, is not, it's really not a, uh, a repetitive or a... Um, I, I, I want to say somewhat like of a systematic or like an assembly line type job, right? There's a very large creative creative uh, component to that about trying to solve a problem. And I think sometimes people confuse that. They think, oh, like, you know, math is very logical. Programming is very logical. And you don't need to be creative in your thinking. And I, I would argue that, that that's completely false, that math programming very are very creative uh, outlets as well. Just like, you know, uh, music is a very creative or art is a very creative process. And maybe we associate that with like enrichment or maybe not a necessary part of life, um, but a, a thing to make life a little more vibrant. I have to jump in because I, I have strong opinions about about education, and I will try to keep them with, within the within the scope of what we're talking about. Otherwise, like Paul said, yeah, totally different podcast episode or even different podcast. But uh, I, I was actually a math teacher in public schools for three years before I went to law school. So I I definitely have opinions, and I kind of agree with Paul on a lot of points. I think I think the way we do the core things in public schools is not exactly right. I also agree that. Um, you know, everyone probably can code and everyone probably should at least a little bit, but I agree that it's, that it's more than, than just enrichment too. Um, it's interesting you bring up music because I believe everyone can sing, you know, maybe not when they get older, if they don't keep at it, but how many of you have ever heard a two-year-old who doesn't sit there and make up songs to themselves and they actually sound good? Uh, everyone can sing and just if, if they keep it up or not. And everyone, I believe everyone can code and everyone should and more than just enrichment. I think it's the new literacy, just like you can't get a job at all unless you can read and write. You can't get a job at all unless, you know, you can at least add and subtract and multiply. I think, I think the future is everyone is going to be getting into technology at least a little bit. And, you know, maybe it's not even as much for their work just as much as it is living your life day to day you know how long how much longer is it going to be before everyone has a 3d printer in their own home now according and, to uh, my son <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> we hope yes <laughs> yeah and you're gonna need reason... to know just a little bit and how many you know how much do people get onto social media and stuff and how soon is it going to be how long is it going to be before you know 
you have to do a little bit just to be able to be more interactive with the world around you. You're going to have to at least know a little bit of coding. And I think, I think that's happening. I think public schools are going away and I think a lot more things, you know, not going away completely, but they're, And they're being left behind. They're going to be reimagined. And a lot more things that are like boot camps are going to be happening in a lot of other fields, too, I think, in the future. Boot camps have been brought up in terms of outreach for vocational rehabilitation. And there is a strong push to bring in um, autists and other, you know, out of the standard deviation people into the boot camp system kind of as an apprenticeship program as opposed to going through traditional education which may not be as successful but i don't know how successful that can be if a successful student and i keep using the word successful and i apologize for that is someone who can do, you know, scrum and agile and who can accept criticism and be resilient and so forth. Have you seen boot camps work successfully for people coming in from the edges to find places where otherwise they would just be on, you know, social security disability? Um. I would, yeah, I can jump in here a little bit because I, I mean, I feel like maybe that gets a, some of what you're saying maybe is a little more personal to me because I feel like, um, I, I would definitely say that I was never a very good student in school. Um, I was kind of that student, I think a lot of time that teachers either kind of loved me or hated me. Uh, and I I really struggled with a lot of some of the traditional um, education system, right? Um, with a lot of the the memorization and things like that. And maybe that's kind of, I think that's largely what shaped kind of my viewpoint. And I found that doing a boot camp actually worked really well for my learning style. And I, uh, and I think that's something that I would... Uh, kind of advise anybody that's kind of thinking about it or or looking into it. It is a very different learning style and curriculum of how things run over traditional kind of. And what education. are those qualities? What are those qualities of learning in a boot camp specifically? Yeah. So I really liked the hands-on approach. Um, I really liked a project, um, and I liked having some freedom and autonomy in what I was doing or working on. So we had, as uh, Andrew mentioned, we had a group project um, and that was anything that you wanted to make. It was basically make an app that didn't, you know, there was no real requirement. There was some di- direction about what was realistic to finish within the time period and what was realistically feasible for our skill level. Um, but it was largely, you know, build anything that maybe is interesting to you. Um, and I think, uh, and I think, you know, as far as what you were saying, kind of to go back to the outreach, I I think it could be a a very good way to tie in or, or to help some of those students that struggle in, in 
you know, maybe some of the traditional education um, environments or in places where there's not a, you know, maybe the even the traditional schools, you know, are are struggling a little bit. Um, and frankly, I would say uh, just to kind of sum up is I think anything in those uh, maybe underserved industries, I think I think it's anything that we do to try to help and, and to reach out to uh, children or people that are struggling to find a career or something that they can do, I think is beneficial. Um, it might not work perfectly for all of them. In fact, I'm sure it won't for everybody. But I, I can't see the harm in at least trying is basically my thought. I, I think one of the keys also, in addition to that, for, for what, why boot camps work so well, and, and one of the things that can help reach out possibly to people on, excuse me, people on the fringes, uh, is, is mentors. I think mentors are the key to, to the new education system. Uh, it, it's not as much someone who knows how to teach. It's just someone who knows something really well and loves it and likes to be around people who, who want to, to see them do this thing. You know, people who love coding and are good at it can be mentors. And then I think this works for other industries and other subject areas too. And if you can go hang out with someone who knows something and loves something, you know, coding, playing the guitar, being a baker, whatever it is, you can, you know, learn really quickly hey, I love this thing too, and I want to get into it more and learn about it. Or you can learn very quickly, actually, this isn't quite my thing, but, but I'm, I'm glad you love it. That's, that's awesome for you. And that's, that's, you know, boot camp is definitely a much faster way to figure out if you love something and are good at it as much as, or have an aptitude for it as much as these other people do, or, or maybe it's not exactly your thing, but you're glad you learned it. And, and now you can move on to something else. I wanted to go back to Erica's um, initial question because she was asking about people that are sort of on the margins uh, coming to boot camps. And I can't honestly say I've had a lot of experience or seen people like that be successful. Um, I have had a, a couple <laughs> a couple experiences where they were not successful. Um, I think what Paul said is true, though. I've seen a lot of people who sort of didn't do well in traditional school. They went to a year of college and it really wasn't for them. Um, or even they didn't do super well in, in high school. Uh, at, but but then they, they come to the boot camp and they do really well because, you know, it's what they they love and it's practical and they're getting to do stuff and it just matches with their learning style better. So I don't think boot camps are a, a panacea. I don't think that they fix every problem or that they're for every person, and I'm not sure they apply to every field. They seem to apply pretty well to the technical fields that they're um, you know, currently operating in, but I'm not sure they're the, the single model for education going forward. In fact, I'm quite sure that they're not. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to add. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Okay, so we're running a little bit low on time, but I'd like to talk a little bit about your experiences actually graduating from the boot camp and looking for a job, the interviewing process. Did you have to do a lot of interviews? Like, how did that go? Um, Eric, you want to start? Yeah. Yeah. I'll jump in. Um, I actually was, was offered um, a position at Dev Mountain Labs after I got out. And this was, uh, 
them trying to open up their own uh, dev shop as another branch of of the school and of, of the business as a whole. I don't know if that's still ongoing or not, if it broke off, if it ended, if it's still happening. I don't know. But at the time, that's what it was. And they said, we've got we're not bringing everyone on. We can't bring everyone on. And we feel like right now is the right time because we have a couple people that we feel like can do this job. And we feel like you're one of them. And so I got that job and I worked on a contract for a client to create an MVP version of, of an app that they had an idea for. And I worked on that for about um, five or six months. And uh, I kept networking with people throughout the whole time that I was working on that. And about three or four months in is when I started actually, you know, putting my resume out there, putting my name out there. I knew the project would be coming to an end at, at some point and I would be moving on. And it did take a lot of work and a lot of talking to a lot of people, um, a lot of interviews, a lot of resumes, a lot of applications, a lot of lunches um, where, where I paid because I was the one who was asking someone, hey, I want to talk to you about about your company or, hey, I want to talk to you about um, programming. And it did. It took a lot to um, to meet someone who, who who gave me a chance, and then who eventually brought me on. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm actually in between jobs again right now, and I have to say uh, the job search is going much better this time. And I feel like um, a lot of that is because I did work hard at boot camp. I did work hard after boot camp, and I worked hard over the last couple of years at, at this full-time job and I've learned things and I've grown and plus um, the market is still really good right now. But, but yeah. In a yeah. way it's a, it sounds like what you're saying is that you went through an apprenticeship system and that you, you gained your mastery from there. Yeah, I think, I think the apprenticeship system is, is a good model for, for this idea of, you know, you don't know if you want to do something, so you get a mentor. You know, not, that's like not even apprenticeship yet, but you get a mentor and figure out if you're interested. And then if so, you do like a boot camp, and that's like the next level up of apprenticeship. And then you might even have to do more than that after leaving boot camp and keep working at it and keep working with someone else before you can even land that first real full-time job. Um, but yeah, it's... The, the path is there, but it is. It is a long, hard path, but it worked out for me. Um, and I, I love it. When I got my first job, it was awesome. It was like, wow, I get to actually go to the same place every day and do something that I love that doesn't really feel like work to me. It feels like fun. And then the, the paycheck ferry comes twice a month, which is awesome. What was your first job? What was that like? Uh, you mean the, the first real full-time job or you're yeah, talking about the, the con yeah, I worked at a company called expert voice. They had a, an app, um, that was for their members. The, the app was not for sale. It was for free. It was part of their entire business model. They were kind of a, a direct authentic marketing and marketing services company and all of their users, uh, logged in and gained access to their free app. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, there were social aspects like a feed and a profile, and then there were other uh, elements to it too. And I just worked on lots of different parts of the app with the team, uh, and it went really well. At first, I was just kind of you know a guy who who did work, and it turned into you know what I'm contributing to, to discussions about about design. I'm contributing to discussions about the user experience. Um, 
and and I learned and and grew, and so that I'm actually actually feel like you know I have something to contribute to a team and to actually start mentoring others too. Very cool, uh, Paul. Can you tell us a little bit about your your graduation, looking for a job? What was that like? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So actually, and I talked a little bit about kind of what led me to the boot camp in the first place. So when I first uh, made the decision, I actually was not planning on on looking for a job um, after or Im- immediately, and I was planning to to continue on uh, with um, my university uh, degree and everything there. And then, kind of through the course of it, um, I started to kind of see that you know, hey, this there's job opportunities after that uh, might be really attractive. Um, and so I started searching around. Um, there's some hiring events that uh, that we did at the end of uh, the boot camp, um, and um, so I I looked around. I interviewed. I actually didn't do too many interviews, um, but I ended up uh, getting a job at a. It was a social media startup. Um, called Juxa Labs, and the main product that we were working on at the time was called Jot, and is a, a messaging app, um, largely targeted at middle schoolers. And I really enjoyed uh, working for for them. I did a lot of QA work um, at the beginning, and I I got to do a little bit of iOS stuff, um, and it was good to help me get my foot in the door. Um, and really learn a lot of uh, the agile scrum type practices. Um, I was doing, um, I had in a previous job, I, I had uh, worked as a, a project manager for graphic design projects. And so they had me doing a lot of the kind of moving around tasks and, and organizing. And I think that's been, been very helpful kind of moving forward. Um, and then um, I started a, a new job. Um, and left there um, where I am now, which is a, a mobile payment processor in Mexico. Um, and so I work uh, full time as doing iOS development. Um, and I really love it. I, I've loved both teams that I've worked on, um, but definitely kind of each each job. And I think the apprenticeship kind of idea or thinking of things uh, that way um, is a is a good way to put it. Um, and definitely a lot of continual learning every time, you know, working on new projects. And I think even if you go through the university route or a, uh, a boot camp or any other um, or any other way, you're definitely going to need to keep learning. And there's going to be things that you're asked to do that uh, that you're not going to know <laughs> immediately how to do. Andrew. So you've mentioned that you've moved on from Dev Mountain. So what are you doing now? I'm at a at a another school called Lambda School. Doesn't we don't call ourselves a boot camp? Um, and and the the big difference between Lambda School and a boot camp is that we do actually uh, teach computer science. We the the program is six months full time, actually closer to seven months full time, and uh, half of that is is an emphasis on whatever technology you want to learn, so web development, iOS, Android, etc. And then half of that is actually, a, you know, we, we actually intend for it to be pretty close to um, the, the same learning you would get in a, in, a, in a computer science program at a university. And we, we do theory of computation and, you know, operating systems, computer architecture, data structures and algorithms, that sort of thing. That, that whole part is taught in C. Um, there's some Python 
thrown in there too. Uh, and and then I the the really attractive thing to me about Lambda School is that the payment model is completely different. So instead of paying ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or whatever it is up front, you don't pay anything. Lambda School um, t- basically takes a percentage of your salary uh, f- from your first job for uh, two years, I think it is. And if you don't get a job, and it, in fact, if you don't get a job making a certain amount of money after you graduate, then you don't pay anything at all. So it becomes, um, well, you know, it's it's l- less risky for the student, but, but the main thing is it aligns Lambda School's incentives with the student's incentives. We, we're not successful if if our students are not actually getting jobs in the field that they're uh, studying to be in. So, you know, we can't, we can't really fudge our numbers or anything like that. We have to do what we say we're going to do. One of the things that gets me really excited about what you're doing there is the emphasis on machine learning as one of your tracks. And that is becoming so huge, you know, in medicine, in, um, well, let's let's leave autonomous vehicles to the side, but in um, just so many uh, data processing areas, in ways of dealing with customers and um, online commerce and so forth. So it seems like you've picked a really hot topic. What what drove you there? Well, I mean, another thing about the Lambda school payment model is that the programs that we offer are going to be heavily driven by where there's actually a market for people. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hot market for, for people. Uh, In fact, we've had a difficult time hiring instructors just because the instructors that we want are experienced people. And when they come to us with their salary requirements, we're often sort of shocked at how much money, (laughs) money they make. You know, I feel like a lowly iOS developer in the face of some of that, but uh, but you know that's a big part of it. But another part of it is we just think it's really cool, and the the school is full of people that are in tech because we love it, and you know we we want to teach stuff that we love. So that's one of the reasons we're doing that. Want to automatically build, test, and release your iOS and macOS apps? Try App Center. Connect your repo within minutes. Build in the cloud. Test on thousands of real iOS devices. Distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real world usage with crash and analytics data. Spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Visit appcenter.ms and get started for free. Very cool. Well, let's let's get to the picks. Erica, do you have a pick for us? My pick this week is bike paths. Bless them. They have brought me such peace, happiness, and a way to just kind of enjoy the world around me. And I know that bike paths are not necessarily the best fiscal choice for a community to build. They often tend to be seen as something that's a non-essential part of a city's infrastructure. But I am so grateful that they exist because they have just been extremely valuable to me. So whether they were fiscally advisable or not, I am picking bike paths for for this week. Plus one, I I I disagree that they're not fiscally responsible. Um, I think they're a good investment for a city, especially growing cities like Denver and Minneapolis. It's like I live in Minneapolis proper, and I can 
get to wherever if I need to go faster on a bike typically than with a car by going downtown and driving. So I bike a lot even in the winter and I'm a plus one for bike paths as well. Andrew, what's your pick? I am going to pick an app uh, and it, and well, so I, so a little bit back, a bit of backstory. I got a iMac pro two weeks ago and um, it gave me an incentive to rewire my office for ethernet, which I had been lacking since doing some remodeling last year. And uh, anyway, so I rewired my office for ethernet, got this iMac pro and I wanted to test it out and see how fast it is. And so I downloaded the speed test app, um, which is made by, I don't know how you say their name, Ookla, Ookla, something like that, and ran it and, you know, was impressed with the speed I'm getting. I'm on Google Fiber, so I can max out a gigabit Ethernet connection with my with my Internet connection. Um, so that's, so speed test, the speed test, test app is my pick. They've got a good Mac app, but they've also got a really good iOS app. And, and actually the reason I'm picking it is because of their iOS app. Uh, they have, ever since I can remember, they've had an Easter egg in their app, um, that involves a cat. And in the new version that I recently downloaded, I wanted to find that Easter egg and they had hidden it a lot better than they hid it before. And, but they also made it 10 times better. So download the speed test app and try to find the Ookla, the cat Easter egg. It's pretty great. That's my pick. So our, our hosts today neglected their responsibility to inform our guests of what a pick is. So we can put them on the spot or just ask if, see if either of you gentlemen would like to chime in with a pick if you have one. Otherwise, we'll move on. But any picks for us? Uh, sure. Yeah, actually, I started thinking about it. It wasn't just as we were talking here. And maybe this is a overly obvious one, but I have been wanting an iPad with the pencil for a while. And now, but I don't use my iPad a, a ton, but now with the the new kind of education, the cheap version of uh, the iPad. Uh, I've uh, I got the the cheap iPad that supports the pencil, and I'm loving it. And largely, it's because about uh, last summer I started working on. Uh, um, I've had kind of an idea for just a personal app. I wanted to do a new side project that uh, would it would involve the pencil. So it's kind of given me new vigor and excitement to to start working on that app again. And as a, a bonus, I will also uh, plus two on the bike paths. I live pretty close to a bike path and I'm a big cycling advocate. So I, I love that. Now I have to ask the very important question. Did you make the right choice and go for the more storage? I got the 128 cellular. Can you figure any reason why anybody would go for the lower storage? So that that's actually a good question. So part of part of this, uh, what led me getting this is uh, we actually were getting an iPad for my mother-in-law. And originally, I I don't think she really needs anything more than the 32 uh, gig. And that's what actually what we bought. Um, and so we bought it just before we were traveling there three weeks ago. Um, and she lives out of the country. And I was really sad because I knew I was buying an iPad when they had already announced that they were going to be doing new ones. Uh, kind of long story short, it actually made sense just to give her my old iPad Air that I had um, because she didn't really need the cellular features or some of those things come to find out. Um, and uh, the apps, the Apple Store was nice enough to let me 
upgrade mine to the new one that supports the pencil. So I was pretty excited about that. And I also upgraded and added more storage since I was now getting it for myself. But I think there are some people that maybe they don't need the the bigger storage. But most people I would tell just to just to upgrade for the big storage. Very cool. Any any other picks? I'm I apparently do not think well under pressure, so I'm I'm gonna pass this time. Other than uh, a a plus one half for for bike paths, but and I'm since I'm not much of a biker, but I am a hiker and uh, had the chance to go on a couple of really nice hikes recently. So that's you can pick very, your family and refreshing. Oh, but that one seems so obvious. Yeah, but sometimes the obvious is the most deep, resounding, and meaningful. There you have it. I'm I'm gonna pick my family. It's been fun during this job search between jobs to be at home more and be around uh, wife and kids more, and they really are awesome. I, you know, anytime that there's a chance to go hang out with friends or stay home and hang out with my wife and kids. My my wife is my best friend, so a lot of times I'm like, you know what? I just want to stay here and hang out with you because you're awesome. And, you know, I'm not trying to be cheesy or anything. It's no, just... that's lovely. <laughs> and the thing is, you just said it in a way that it will be preserved and shared with others. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and now uh, my wife's going to be mad at me when she listens to this later, and I, I didn't say family or her. You know, I think we can all we extend edits. it to our edits, spouses. Right? Okay, Paul, your 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 wife comes to you. Family. Your wife comes with you to Cocoa Heads. Yeah, can, she's pretty awesome. Yeah, she's pretty great. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna plus one and like. Bam! All right. Well, thanks everyone for coming on the show, Paul, Eric. Uh, we learned a lot about you know what it's like actually going through a boot camp. And for everyone else, we'll see you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.